0: I don't know if you uh, if you caught like I did, or if it struck you like I did, or that it struck me that there was a a lady who came running in here this morning with significant need in her life, feeling like she really badly needed something, and she came in here and said, "I need help." And I don't know what it was that that you know that made her feel the freedom. To come here, whether it was something in her childhood that said, I can go to, into a church and it, and it's going to be okay for me to disrupt what they're doing and go ask for help. I don't know where all of that came from, but I'm really grateful that that happened today. I, and I, I hope that we can, can t- continue to bless her. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that the story of, of our response to her And and by the way, there are several people who've gone from here this morning and who are actually right now out driving in their cars looking for her daughter. Uh, I would think that the story of our attempting to help her is going to be told. And she lives very close, and that probably will be told in our community as people share the fact that she ran in here, and these people who don't even know her started doing something positive by going and looking for her daughter this morning. And so I'm grateful for that opportunity that the Lord presented with us today. Praise the Lord. Praise you, Jesus, for giving us that opportunity. We live in this culture that we sometimes refer to as postmodern. I don't know if the word postmodern means anything to you, but it probably can most succinctly and best be defined by something like postmodern means that what each individual takes to be true can be thought of as truth. Truth is, in fact, an independent thing. It's an individual thing. And so what I take to be true is, in fact, going to be true. And there's actually some merit to that. That makes a little bit of sense. If I look at this wall over here and I see uh, brown brick, there's no way for me to know that what Curtis sees as brown brick is exactly the same thing as what I see as brown brick. Like, I don't know if the color that he sees when he sees brown is exactly the color that I see when I see brown. If we were to get them out there somehow, objectively, so that everybody could see the, that color of brown, and you'd say, well, this is what Curtis thinks is brown, and this is what Kelly says is brown, do we, would they be exactly the same? There's no way for me to know. If you put um, ice cream in my mouth which will quickly be devoured, there is no way to know that the taste that I receive when I receive, say, peppermint flavoring in ice cream, there's no way for me to know that that's exactly the same that John Casella is going to taste when he tastes peppermint ice cream. It could be that his taste buds are just different than mine in some way that I can't explain, and that he has a different experience when he tastes peppermint ice cream than what I taste. We both might agree that it's good, Although somebody here might say, it's no, it, that's bad. And so whatever experience it is that I have is good for somebody else's bad, but we don't even know if it's the same experience, if it tastes exactly the same to each of us. And so there's some merit to this notion with the, the uh, postmodernism says that, thing is that truth itself is in some sense relative. And yet, at the same time, we all know that we operate with a sense of objective truth as well. For example... I think all of us want to think that we're here this morning. Okay? When you look around and you see somebody, and you ex- are yourself experiencing sight, you're thinking to yourself, no, we're, we're actually all really here. Like, this is not just a figment of my imagination. And the fact that I all, that I think that we're all here... Probably is not that much different in terms of importance than it is that Sherry thinks that we're all here. Or maybe Sherry sees only every one of you, or every other one of you, and I see all of you. Wouldn't that be odd? And so it's important that we all, in some sense, see the same thing. Last night, my son called from Texas, and for months, he has had a problem with his right ankle. He was out running one day in April. Like, this is from April. He's out running one day in April, and there was a family coming down the sidewalk. He goes up in the grass to avoid the family, comes back on the sidewalk, and when he did, he turned his ankle and fell down, and it, you know, immediate pain. Well, it turned out that the, the person who was with this family, the father, was a doctor. And so he ev- immediately examined my son and said, Well, I don't think it's broken. I think you're okay. And, uh, you know, that was kind of. That was kind of all. And so my son thought, well, I've had a sprained ankle before. My ankle is sprained. So he didn't ever go and get an x-ray or anything. But it just kept pestering him causing him pain. So finally in July, he goes to get an x-ray. He finds out in July that there had been, in fact, a bit of a break. There had been a chip from a bone that had come loose. But the main problem were ligaments. He's got all kinds of ligament damage uh, in his ankle. And it's going to require some surgery and quite a significant problem. And there's even some bones that through the process of healing, some bones have become fused together and they're not supposed to be fused. And so there was an orthopedic yesterday who examined him and and it was not good. And so there's all kinds of things that have to happen. And my son was calling to tell us about that. But here's how he starts out the conversation. And and we've been waiting for weeks for this appointment, months now. He starts out and says, well, I've got some bad news. He said... uh, there's a chance that I'm going to have to have a prosthetic foot. My foot may have to be amputated. And so Robin and I were just totally taken aback. You know, and I, I, in, into the phone I said, what? And, and Robin said she started to fight back the tears. And then he says, gotcha! And he did have us. And, and then he said, I got you back for that time when I was trying to get to Vancouver, going through Seattle, and you fooled me. It's a long story. And I really nailed him about, oh, six or seven years ago. Totally had him <laughs> fooled. And he said, I finally got you back for that. And indeed, he, he did get us. Well, it became very important for us all of a sudden what truth is. And Robin said to him on the phone, that is not funny. <laughs> Here we are trying to find out the truth about your ankle, and you play that game on us. (laughs) She's a little agitated. And, And it was very important at that moment that we find out what we would say is the truth about his ankle. We want to know what's really going on. And you know, it doesn't really matter whether it's the doctor's perspective or my son's perspective or what my perspective is, I want to know not just somebody's perspective, I want to know what's really going on with my son's ankle so that we can do something to treat it and take appropriate action. When it comes to religious truth, the world does not always view it as being quite so important that we find out what's really true. I was going to do a PowerPoint today, but we weren't sure about the projector, so I can't put this up for you on the screen. But let me read this to you. Listen carefully. This comes from the Ontario Consultants on Religious Tolerance and Their Statement of Faith. Okay, The Ontario Consultants for Religious Tolerance and Their Statement of Faith. And this is their fifth principle in their statement of faith. It says that the systems of truth that we have studied on the topics of morals, ethics, and religious belief are often considered absolute within various religions and secular belief systems. However, they are obviously relative because they vary greatly by culture, religion, and over time. Now what that said was, there are all kinds of systems, religious systems, that claim to have absolute truth. But it says These are obviously relative, these claims to truth. They have to be obviously relative because there are variances within these truths that are held because of differences in culture, religion, and time. Now, I find that interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think it's interesting that their statement of faith, point number five, they take to be true. Does that strike you as odd? What they say is, claims made about religion, which they've just made a claim actually about religion, they've said that all claims about religion are relative. They've just made a claim about religion and said, these are all relative because of differences in culture and religion and time. But it makes sense to me then, that they'd have a hard time proving or getting us to accept the truth of their claim about religion because it's made in a certain, certain culture at a certain time and it's indeed a religious kind of claim. So I'm a little bit skeptical about their claim about everything being relative when their claim itself seems to maybe be a little bit too relative. And I'm not sure that I should be taking what they say as True. So that kind of causes me to stop and think a little bit. I'm not sure, in fact, that it's the variances of culture and time that are ultimately going to determine what is true. Instead, I would say that there is an element of truth that is in fact true through all times and all cultures and that is just ultimate truth, even about religion. And what I mean is something like this. Ultimately, I want my son's ankle to be healed, but there's something that I think is true about it right now. I think it's damaged. And it would be damaged if it was 1700, it would be damaged if this was the year 1000, his ankle would be damaged if this was the year 2. Doesn't matter what time. In history it is. And it wouldn't matter whether he was in Nigeria or he was in South Africa or China or sitting atop of the North Pole. His ankle is still in the shape it's in, no matter what the culture, what the time, whatever the perspective is that somebody has. There is something that's true about his ankle, even if the doctor's diagnosis is wrong. We might find out that the doctor's diagnosis is totally haywire. But eventually you'd think that we're probably going to get to the root of the problem with his ankle. There is something about his ankle that is true. Even if I don't know it. And my position this morning would be the same when it comes to God. That God himself is real. That God himself is true that the things that God says about himself are as true as the things that could be said about my son's ankle. And just because they're religious claims doesn't mean they have any less truth element to them than anything else that we see down here because God himself is in fact true. Now that makes total sense to me. Now I could be wrong about God, that's a possibility, I could have the truth about God all mixed up. And any one of you could have the truth about God all mixed up. But there is, it seems to me, the fact that somewhere, whether I know it or not, a truth about God that is real. I think there's finally, ultimately, a truth about God that is true. And it's true whether I'm on the North Pole or whether it's the year two. And it's true... So that in the year 2056, it's going to be true in the same way that it's true today. Even if, as I said, I don't know that truth. Now, I don't know if you're with me on that. I don't know if you agree with me about that reality, that truth claim. But I think that there is ultimately a truth about God, even if I don't know it. Now, the reason I say, even if I don't know it, is because I know that I don't know everything. But there is someone who does. And the beauty about the Christian faith is that we are led by God into understanding what truth is. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And here's the claim that I want to make this morning that I think that the Bible says is absolutely true. And it's this. If Jesus has entered into our world and told us what is true of God, okay. if Jesus has entered into our world and told us what is true of God, and if the Holy Spirit continues through Scripture and otherwise to instruct us about the way things really are, then variances in culture and time associated with religion do not affect what truth is. Okay, let me say that again if Jesus has really come into our world and told us that which is true, and if the Holy Spirit through Scripture and through our experiences of the Spirit have told us that which is really true, then it doesn't matter the culture, it doesn't matter the time, it doesn't matter whatever religious claim or experience I might have, if in fact the Spirit and Christ has communicated to us that which is true. Now I'm in a position in my life where I accept those claims. I think that God has entered through Jesus into our world. I think that Scripture does proclaim that which is true about the way things really are. I think the Holy Spirit really does lead us into truth. And if that's the case, then there is a truth there, if that's true, on which I can bank my life and that I need to, in fact, Believe and be confident in because God has presented himself to us in that way now look at Ephesians chapter 1 because I'm making the assumption here that most of you are on the same page with me on that that you believe that you trust that this truth that God has brought to us through Jesus is really true true in an absolute kind of way. And look at the beauty of what this truth does for us. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That, brothers and sisters, is a powerful, powerful prayer. What Paul has just said is that this wonderful truth about Jesus having been revealing to us God and our privilege and opportunity to know God is going to be enhanced, is going to be made more solid, it's going to be deeper, it's going to be more profound because the Holy Spirit works in your life and my life so that we can know Him even better. And the point is this. God doesn't want us to just understand the truth that He exists. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to be in personal relationship with Him. And He says in this text that the Holy Spirit is given specifically to take your life, your soul, your mind, and to draw it more closely to God which means that you and I don't have to remain at all where we are. We have the privilege, the blessing, of understanding who God is, but then, in having our relationship with Him enhanced, and it's not even dependent upon you. You don't have to be more astute. You don't have to be sharper. You don't have to be more brilliant. You don't have to know language better. You don't have to be a better reader. You don't have to be a better thinker. What this says is, is that the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to understand God better and be in relationship with Him. And that is a great blessing. The Spirit is waiting to bring you along. The Spirit. Is wanting you to grow. The Spirit is trying to bring into your life understanding about God that you presently don't have. He says that wisdom and revelation can be ours through the Spirit who brings that to us. And the church, I'll tell you, is absolutely dependent upon the Spirit doing that in our lives. Can you imagine? if we were dependent upon the brilliance of our elders to lead us into all truth? Like, these are nice guys. I appreciate them very much. I think we have a wonderful eldership. I've worked with several elderships. Wouldn't trade them with this one for anything. I'm so grateful to be working with the men with whom I work, but I don't want to be dependent upon their wisdom, ultimately, for the good of this church. What I want instead is for the Holy Spirit to lead us into wisdom and revelation and understand all the things that he wants to teach us through his scriptures and through the experience of the church. That's what I really want. I want our elders to be so led by the Spirit in their understanding of who God is and the way that he wants to work with his church that we end up doing incredible things that we couldn't possibly have done if our elders were not guided by the Spirit. But I want them to be. And how woeful would it be if we were somehow dependent upon my own wisdom and my knowledge. Even I don't want that. I want very much instead for the Spirit to lead me and to guide me and to take me into a deeper relationship with Him. So that I can understand what He wants for my life and for yours. And Scripture says that the Holy Spirit specifically wants to do that in the life of the church. Praise God. The Lord for that. Now turn to John fourteen. John chapter fourteen, look at verse fifteen. If you love me, he says, you will obey what I command. Verse sixteen. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him but you know Him for He lives with you and will be in you. And there is a beautiful promise there about the Spirit being with the church. Now it's... In its original presentation here, this is the Spirit being with the apostles. But I have no doubts. I have 100% confidence in the fact that the Spirit continues to be with the church. That the Spirit continues to bless us and guide us. And He is the Spirit of truth as much for us as He was for them. And for that I also praise Him. And in Him I have confidence because of that. Then flip over to John 16. Just a couple of chapters and look at verse 12. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, talking to the apostles. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, and that's the second time here when he's been called the spirit of truth, which kind it starts to give you an idea of what his ministry is. When he comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And so the spirit has this special role of communicating truths about who Jesus is. And so when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, I want the eyes uh, that you have to be opened up. I want your heart to be enlightened, for the Spirit to come and to show you wisdom and revelation so that you can know God better. That makes total sense to me. Because it says that that is in fact the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. Now here it uses again the apostles as the kind of prototypical example of that. But I have no doubts about this kind of ministry of the Spirit being there for the church as well. So the church is ministered to constantly by the Holy Spirit who leads us into truth. Now that is significant. That is significant because we don't just live in the present. We're going to live in the future. And where is the church going from here? Where are we headed? What's going to happen in your life? What's going to happen in my life? What's going to happen in our collective lives together? Where are we going? What are we going to get accomplished for God? I think what Scripture says is that the Holy Spirit is in the process of guiding us, of leading us, of shaping us, and molding us, and making us all that He wants us to be. He teaches us. He's taking us someplace. We're not doing this on our own. But the Spirit is right there, not just walking with us, but leading and guiding and taking. And that is exactly where I would want Him to be. As we make decisions about where we're going to go as a church, as our leadership wrestles with questions about what we're going to be and where we're going to go as a church, I want to know that the Holy Spirit is leading that process. I want to know that the Holy Spirit is directing and guiding us and taking us where he wants us to go. I don't want the notion of relativism to have an impact on us, but instead the truth of the Spirit to dominate. And I see the Spirit having that specific role in facilitating truth among us and taking us where he wants us to go. Now here's the application for the morning. A couple of weeks ago, I asked the whole church, if you would start praying every day during the month of December for God's Spirit to lead our ministry. I hope you've been doing that. I don't know if you have or not. I pray you have. I've sent out an email or so that said, hey, are you doing this? Hope you are. Keep praying. Ask God through his spirit to be present in our ministry and take us where he wants us to go. I hope that you've been praying that prayer every day. Let me encourage you again to do so. Husbands, wives, grab each other and say, let's pray about the ministry of the church every day together for the month of December and see what happens. I ask you to pray about God showing those people to, uh, to us that he wants us to minister to. We had somebody walk in this morning who ask us for help. And maybe God directed her specifically to us so that we could start blessing her life in a significant way. Yes, Wayne? Praise the Lord. Good, I'm glad. Praise the Lord. Thank you. So maybe we'll have some impact on that family. Maybe God brought her specifically to us this morning. Keep praying that prayer. But I want to add to this another prayer request. I want you to add to your things that you're praying about, and it's simply this. I would ask that you, can, that you would start praying about for God to lead us in the direction, always, of truth. He's the spirit of truth. He is supposed to have the church grounded in the truth. And we live in a culture that constantly challenges us At that level, saying, are you going to keep preaching the truth? Are you going to keep teaching the truth? Are you going to keep believing the truth? And I'd like for you to pray for the remainder of December, in addition to the prayer about the Spirit leading our ministry, ask the Spirit to be with us with respect to the truth. We want to be a church that represents truth, that acknowledges truth, that believes truth, that stands on truth. And we want the world to, to also accept this truth that we have in Jesus. And so it's totally appropriate during the month of December when so much of the world thinks something about who Jesus is, that we have a chance to pray specifically for God to lead those around us into truth. And here's what's going to happen. Here's a, this is like a guarantee, okay? I guarantee you that you're going to have an opportunity to talk to somebody around you about the truth. You're going to have a chance to stand for the truth that is in Jesus. And you're going to have an opportunity to express to them what you believe to be the truth. And I would pray for your boldness. I want you to pray about your boldness in that circumstance when that opportunity to, to express the truth comes to you Don't shy away. Recognize that as an opportunity put there in your life by the Spirit for you to communicate to others the truth about Christ. So we've got these two things coming together here. The truth of Jesus that comes to us by the Spirit of truth and the ministry of the Spirit bringing into our lives opportunities for the ministry to grow. And if we pray about these two things as a church, I have no doubt but that God is going to bless us. He's going to bless us with people, and He's going to bless us with people who come to understand the truth about Jesus, because that's what the Spirit does. Let's pray about that together, and let's pray right now. Lord, thank you for the privilege we have of having people like Jennifer just kind of burst into our lives and with whom we have a chance to share the good news of Christ. Father, we believe with all our hearts that you are the truth, and that you have revealed your truth to us. Help us to stand there. Help us to be committed to that truth. Bring people into our lives with whom we can communicate that truth, and give us boldness to do so. Bless our ministry through the presence of your Spirit. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.